It's Friday, December 31st, 2021, and you're listening to episode 587 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 34 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. I'm Prodor. All right, I got nothing, so we're going to jump straight into it. Mm. Nothing announcement-wise. I mean, if I had literally nothing, we wouldn't be doing the show. But, all right, let's get into it. I have some visual aids. Yes, I know you do. And <laughs> so for very quick aside, because this, this episode, even the basis for it is not the AP. Some of you will be breathing sighs of relief over that. But in the most recent episode of the AP, as of us recording this, so there'll probably be another one out by the time this drops, Broder brought these, like he had no game notes, but he just had these really, really detailed, some were photographs, some of them were like medical textbook, Autobahn, sorry, I realize Autobahn didn't do medical yeah. textbooks, but that quality illustration of what syphilis does to a person. Yeah, and I mean, on their their hands, their face. Their skull. Yeah, their, the actual I, bone structure yeah. underneath your skin. And, on, and, you know. and he kept stacking... We'll call these his game notes in very low, in very loose quotes here. He kept stacking those to his right hand, which is where I was sitting. And every time he would set them down, I would flip them over, which would last for about five minutes until he'd be like, yes. And the next person's this nasty. And he'd pick them up again and show them to the table. And Brandon would cuss at him. And then he'd put them back down face up in front of me. And I'd have to flip them over again. The funny thing to me. I was at home sick. I'm not there. I'm feeling sick. Oh, to he my was here stomach. sick. <laughs> yeah, I'm sick to my stomach. I'm feeling horrible. And yet, I think there was more stomach upset in that room, dude. Based on the stories if I've you heard, were from already your nauseous. You'd have yacked the table. I mean, this this is not going to be linked in the show notes. And if it even ends up like on Discord or something, we will put it under heavy tags because I'm forewarning you. You click these pictures out of morbid curiosity. You are goat seeing yourself. Okay, so all there's will, no there's no blindsiding to this. I, so I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts, Time Suck by Dan Cummins. And I was listening to the Rasputin suck, and there was a prostitute that tried to kill Rasputin, stabbed him in the stomach, and tried to pull his guts out. She had been ravaged by syphilis to the point where her nose had caved in, and I was like, I have to see this. And so I searched it, and I was like, holy shit syphilis can do that to somebody what else can syphilis do so of course i google images syphilitic legion syphilitic ulcer yeah and then he starts printing all syphilitic this ulcer you know this was this was what we got for structure to the game the rest of it was very improv seat of the pants use your imagination until we got to that horror show and then he had all his ducks in a row <laughs> Holy crap, he had a, I mean, it might as well have been a one note with like a full notebook. Of, he's got a little post-it note stuck in his game book so he knows exactly where uh, to turn. Descriptions of the taste and smell. Dude, it got, yeah, I don't even know what to say. All right, but that's not what today's topic is about. What I want to talk about today, and yes, I realize this is going to sound like it's related, I swear it's not, is playing in the afterlife, all right? So what am I talking about with playing in the afterlife? Am I saying there's D&D in heaven? I don't know. What I am saying is in 
role-playing games... You For the record, there's not. There's only Skies of Glass. Yes. You can only play the perfect gaming system. That's correct. Skies of Glass and Battletech on weekends. But there have been a couple times where in my games, I have had significant number of characters die at once. Possibly even the entire party. Now, there's a whole slew of solutions we could talk about here, and we have talked about in the past, which is, you know, you can, depending on the setting, you might have resurrection, depending on what type of game you're running. It might be roll up a new character. This is who you're playing now, like in Skies of Glass, death is an expected part of the game. This could be something like Paranoia or whatever, or different clone of you enters, or something like Dungeon Crawl Classics, where you just toss that character sheet and pull up the next one in the stack. So there's a whole bunch of ways of approaching this, but there is one particular way of handling this that I've not heard a lot of people talk about. And I have now successfully done it at least twice in major, long, ongoing campaigns. And I'm stressing that because there's a lot of mass character death and con games or one shots and nobody cares. I mean, that's part of yeah. the fun is how gonzo it is. But in two different D&D campaigns now, I have had either a large percentage of or the entire party get killed in an encounter. And I did not end the game there. And what I did instead is because of the fact that games like D&D, though I think you can apply this to any game that deals with fantasy elements, the supernatural. Wayne actually threw out some ones we're going to come back to that are pure sci-fi in nature as well. So we'll come back to those. But certainly with the ones that are fantasy, magic, supernatural, it's an established part of the world that there are other realms of existence. You have some kind of eternal soul or magical presence or astral being or whatever, where when you die, that being goes on and I pick up the story there. Your character being dead is not the end of their story, that now suddenly they go to the afterlife. Let me give you an example from the West March's D&D game that I'm running right now, they went up against something called an Arcomental. Now, if you don't know what an Arcomental is, if you look at the power scale of, like, Forgotten Realms, you have the gods, and there's different tiers of gods, and then the gods have a super god named Ao, which, whatever. Below them, you have elemental lords, so like the Lord of Fire, the Lord of Water, so on and so forth. And then below them, you have things called the Arcomentals which are like these elemental princes that are not quite gods in power, but they go way beyond the power level of the average elemental. Okay, These are guys that are epic level, whatever, in their own right. And specifically, I ran a plot that used one of these Archimentals, a guy by the name of Imix, who is sort of an underling, a rebellious underling of Kosuth, who is the main elemental lord of fire. And what happened was Imix was bound to this particular ceremony. He was under like an old magic style pact. And when the group disrupted this evil ceremony, Imix broke loose and three of the party members managed to survive. There's like eight people there. which was a rather big group. Most of the party ended up killed by Imix. And so I could have at that point said, okay, you're dead. This is over. But I knew these were people that were invested in their characters. These were people that did not sign up for a high death game. Some of the people there, I think, for reasons I don't feel it's my place to get into, would have struggled psychologically with having their character yanked away from them. 
And admittedly, for a group of like fourth and fifth level characters, Imix is not a fair fight. Yeah. I mean, this really, it wasn't plot powerful, but he's not a fair fight. Well, no, I was wondering what the CR was, because I know that the characters, I know the PCs are not that high level. Yeah, this should have been an epic level encounter or something very close to it. Yeah, well, it would have to be, because it's really not that easy to kill a character in 5e with like the death saves. Yeah. And so... What I decided to do is I said, okay, here's where the story picks up. Now, amongst the characters that got killed, only one of them actually had a declared allegiance to a particular god. He's a paladin of Torm. All right, so he gets picked up by Torm. And I described briefly what the afterlife looks like with Torm. And I left it very short, very vague. And if people want to nitpick my descriptions, I love you guys, but I'm being straight with you. I'm playing out of the base rule books. I have not read all the novels. I'm not going to pretend to know the setting the way I do, say, Battletech or something. It doesn't matter. It's your D&D game. I, it's not their D&D yes. game. Yes. The afterlife, if you wanted Torm's afterlife to be exactly butterflies and flowers, then it's butterflies and yeah. flowers, and it, that's can. If I decide that Torm is sitting in the Feywild inexplicably, then that's where he sits. And yeah, 100% agree. It is your game. Run it how you want. It is my game. I will run it how I want. And I came up with a particular description for what Torm's afterlife looked like. But the rest of them, now they were not atheistic because I think to specifically say there are no such things as supernatural beings in D&D is a bit of weird cognitive dissonance. But they were not particularly under any patron deity. So what happens to such people? Well, what I decided, because I had to make the decision, was that they instead basically go to this kind of empty sort of limbo-like space where the image they saw was that picture like a Baroque painting. All right, for anyone who doesn't know, Baroque paintings, one of their major attributes is that the background is very dark, if not completely dark. You have a character and maybe an object or two that are the focus of the painting, and they appear to be self-lit, that they glow, they are self-lit, everything else is basically in blackness, and that's what they experienced. And so it started off with they were in this complete blackness, and one of the characters was sitting at a simple wooden chair, at a simple wooden table, and that's all that he could see. This is all that exists where he is. I was riffing off of a rule that goes back to 3rd edition D&D. And I realize it does not exist in 5th edition, but I like the rule, so I'm sticking with it, which is in 3rd edition D&D, there was a rule that said that if you rolled a 30 on any skill check or whatever, that there was a chance that your performance was so remarkable that it starts attracting the attention of either extra planar or godlike or angel-like or demon-like beings. And what had been happening is we've got a druid who keeps using Pass Without Trace and all this sneak stuff, and he keeps nailing 30 after 30. Despite being relatively low level, he just keeps nailing on these stacked effects 30 after 30 after 30 after 30. And so even though he was not particularly aligned to any god of nature, I decided, you know what? Mask is going to take an interest in him. Mm. Now, for anyone who doesn't know Forgotten Realms, Mask is the god of deceit and thieves and whatever. So this is kind of his bag. Is he played by Jim Carrey? Good heavens, no. <laughs> I, I don't know who I would have play him. I'd have to actually think about that for a bit. Because he's 
I don't know. He's much more the way I play him is he's very he's charismatic. He's kind of a fast talker. He's very slick. But there's always some truth to what he says. You know, he's got an agenda. You know, he's not quite honest, but he is never entirely lying either. There's always some sliver of truth to it. And so in some previous encounters, like in visions and such, because there's a story element in Forgotten Realms where the gods derive their power and relevance from the number of followers they have. So they have to take some interest in garnering and appeasing followers or engaging with their followers. They can't just say, yeah, I don't care and punch out. You know, they don't grant abilities to their clerics. People stop being clerics of them and eventually their power wanes and they fade away. Or at least that was true at one point in the story. I don't know if it still is. And so Mask, seeing all of this and seeing that he's not claimed by anyone, has been trying to solicit and tempt him away from his neutral good ways to more of kind of a chaos and whatever sort of bent to things. And he starts telling him, like, you know, look, you're big into nature, but I'm all about stealth and deception. Do you realize that when the chameleon camouflages itself, that I am there in that? That when you go out hunting and you hide in the bushes, that I am there in that? That when the lion pounces on the unsuspecting gazelle, I am there in that? Which may or may not be true, because that's actually Malar's domain, but... This is at least how he's selling it. So the point is that all of these people, one by one, end up in limbo because they're all unclaimed. They don't have a patron deity. Nobody cares. And so one of them goes to Torm Heaven. The rest of them basically just end up in this, like, junkyard of souls. And Mask shows up and says, you know what? Let me cut you a deal. And he puts a copy of his own, because masks the way they draw him. He's got red hair and these like red eyes. He's dressed mostly in all black. He has this black cloth mask tied around his face. And he basically puts a duplicate of that mask, another cloth mask on the table in front of this druid, and slides it over to him and says, you put that on, I'll bring you back. I'll work this out. And he relents. All right, the character relents. He agrees. He puts the mask on. He goes into the mask. All right, mask with the capital M. And so at that point, then mask says, okay, so Mass basically runs off and powwows at Mount Olympus with the other gods. And the other gods are like, look, we don't really care. So what Mass comes back and says, which may or may not be true, is that what the other gods said is they will let me take your souls back if you guys basically are willing to pass some tests and do some things to prove your worth. And it's kind of interesting as being Westmarch as we rotate GMs. And my nephew, Eli, God bless him for being a, teenager who's ready to GM and I've got enough even younger than him who's GMing much love for both of them but he said I want to run this set of scenarios where they go through a bunch of little vignette adventures and for each one all the major NPCs they've encountered are in a pool and for each one they have to they're told the scenario they have to pick the right tool for the right job and that's the only NPC they get and at the end of the vignette that NPC is removed from the pool so I basically set his game up because he told me that's where he wanted it to go. So I set his game up that now Mask is basically doing like this little competition of like, I've been given permission to bring you all back from the dead. I'm going to resurrect you. But to do it, the other gods told me, once again, maybe true, maybe not. But the other gods told me, you have to earn it. 
And so we've got a bunch of like challenges or the, the tasks of Hercules here. You have to go out and do all these things. You know, you have to kill the Hydra. You have to clean the stables, you know, all the tasks of Hercules, not literally, but that's kind of the idea. And if you do this, then you get to go back. And the one guy who made it to Torm heaven, he kind of got put back in of Torm's like, okay, you know, my virtues here is I'm all about loyalty and honor and justice. So you need to be with them to help them through this. And if you make it through it, then it will be a sign to me that it's also not your time and I will send you back. And so he got sent from Torm into limbo to join these little games. Right. And Obviously, after the end of this adventure, I'm assuming they'll succeed. We'll see where this goes, at which point they get brought back into the material realm, having been spared death. So this sounds really cool, but I have a couple questions for you. Sure. What are you doing with the players whose characters didn't die? Easy answers to that, because one of them was my character. And because I do a really good characterization with the NPCs, that's one of my strengths as the GM is very colorful NPCs. I talked to Eli and said, is it okay if I play the pool of NPCs? Because most of them were my creations anyway. I mean, in a West March, this is a shared world. Right. But the point is that I would love to play all these NPCs and just ham it up and do their funny voices and whatever. So I said, can I play the NPCs? He said, yes. Okay, so that takes my character off the table because mine didn't die. The other two characters are played by players who are not very likely to be at the next session scheduling-wise. Perfect. Because that led to my second question. What if one of these people can't show up to the next session? Okay. So what I did, so let me kind of explain a few angles here. So what I did was with the two people that I'm pretty sure are not going to be there. One of them got pulled off to a different plane of existence, but is still alive. But still, if she ends up showing up, I could find some excuse to move her character over. And I would tell you what that excuse Mm -hmm. is. Well, I'll keep it in brief on the off chance somebody's listening to the show and I don't want one of my players to have it spoiled that the plane she went to, though she is still alive, it's because my character was originally a warlock. I switched to cleric because of party balance issues and her pact was with an alien power, which basically means she has made a pact with a Lovecraftian type power. And so she managed to make a deal with not the devil, but with like the you know, some horror or whatever, some extra planar monster Mm -hmm. that they're still alive, but they're in a plane of decay and madness. It's not a good place to be. So they can't stay there very long or they'll be consumed by it mentally, if not in more ways than that. And so having her moved from there to limbo as a matter of survival would be pretty easy to do. If not, no big deal. She's off Mm -hmm. the table and they'll just get spit out back into the prime material plane. The next time she shows up, the other guy, Once again, I don't think he's going to show up. Could be wrong. But where he ended was when Imix was out on his rampage, killing everybody. He's like, I'm going to set my own cloak on fire. Now he's a rogue. So I said, okay, roll deception. So he rolls deception, nails it. No 30, but nonetheless nails it. He rolled 30. I probably had a mask grab him too. But (laughs) he does roll really well. He rolls like way well over 20. All right. And when I rolled Imix's check to see through to the deception, I just tanked it. I mean, Imix just didn't notice. So Imix assumed, well, this must be one of the cultists that summoned me. Hmm. And so he just calls out to me, says, come to me, my faithful flame. And so he walks over and suddenly realizes his cloak, despite being on fire, is not being burned up. 
and the flames are not hurting him. And even though he's right by Enix, which is this creature of pure flame, the heat's not bothering him. And suddenly they realize that he has some dispensation of Enix's power, that he's kind of starting to tend toward the elemental plane of fire, at least for the time being. And so he's still alive and well in the main world, but now he's he's kind of like, I guess, was it Edmund in the Chronicles of Narnia, where he's stuck basically hanging on the coattails of a very evil being, you know, and that's kind of how he's staying alive. Yeah, but so, I meant more, what if, say, the deceased character that put on the mask, what if that player can't show up? Okay, so now that's an interesting question. So what do I do if that player or one of those players can't show up? I've got two basic options. One is the same thing that I would do for any absent character of just say, okay, he's not here, but we're just going to play along the same lines with his character as a cardboard cutout NPC who's just there to move the plot forward. He's just there to be the excuse. Because Mass Deal, the only the druid flipped, is, at least he claims, that all of them have to participate for the rest of the gods to sign off on their resurrection because they don't technically belong to Mass. So he himself can't make that decision alone. At least, once again, that's his story and he's sticking to it. And maybe it's true, maybe it's not. But the other option I have is if he's not able to show, if scheduling doesn't look too horrible, then I will simply delay the game until he can show. Yeah. Because it's that time of year. Yeah, it's that time of year. And also the individual in question is Adam, which is Eli and Oliver's dad. So if he cannot show, I'm at least losing two other players, including yeah. the one who's supposed to be GMing the next session. <laughs> So I this this creates more problems. So the answer to Wynn's question is we don't play. Either yeah. we don't play or we play, we work around it. Yeah, because I've had that before where I set something up specifically for one or two characters and one of them couldn't yeah. make it. I ended up in that case, I postponed the game because I wanted to give that experience to that player. Yeah, one of the ways I handled this in the prior D&D game many years back was I had a... 1 to 20 mega campaign written out. We actually played through the entirety of it. We actually got to the end. And I knew it was going to be this world-rending event. There was going to be a big shake-up in the hierarchy of gods. I was. It, it's a long story that I won't bore you guys with now. If you really want to hear, then, I don't know, post saying you want to hear Dan's Forgotten Realms stories, and I'll do a negative episode or bonus episode where I tell you the full story. But there was going to be this big world-rending event. The gods knew that the players were going to play an important role in all of this. And so when they died, it was actually Umberly, who is this profoundly hateful, vindictive goddess of the oceans. I mean, she's just a horrible, horrible person. She basically shows up and kind of intercepts their souls and says, if you agree not to kill me when all of this goes down, you agree that I get to stay where I'm supposed to be then I will send you back and let you have your revenge. And they agree to it. And so it's a similar, but they didn't have to, there was no fealty given to her. There's just an agreement. And there was also no test they had to pass. And suddenly they just, their dead bodies just wash up on shore again and they're alive. <laughs> and, you know, they don't know what happened, what carry, you know, if some kraken carried them there or the back of a whale or what happened. I love the test idea, and I've really enjoyed the few times I've seen something like this happen, where it gives you a chance to see and interact with those beings from the afterlife. Yeah. Because in Chad's uh, 
you know, the Gnarl game. That happened. You know, we had the elders were out there. We knew this afterlife thing existed. And when Gnarl died, we had a whole session yeah. of going into the afterlife to bring Gnarl back. And there's all kinds of ways you could do this. You end up in the abyss and you have to conclude and whatever your way out of it. You could end up in a place that's like an eternal maze. And it's something like straight out of like the classic Greek stories where you have to figure your way out of it and whatnot. And if you do, then you know somewhere in there is a portal back to the real world. I mean, there's all kinds of stories in Greek mythology about people that got sent to Hades or Tartarus or whatever and were able to bring themselves back through wit or strength or coercion or whatever and were able to kind of win their way back from the afterlife. So one of my favorite stories from a game that involves something like this, we didn't go to the afterlife. We never saw any of that happen. This was a, it's a game Gage and Eric Ostley were co-writing and running. So this was a stream for a while. And Gage was the, he ran the first game and Chris Hussey's character dies in the first game. Eric runs the second game and tells Chris, oh, just show up. And Chris's character shows up and is alive and there's no explanation (laughs) <laughs> and his character doesn't believe that he ever died. And so Gage talks to him. And says, okay, so what's the deal? What happened? That's your problem. You're running now. <laughs> wow. As it worked out throughout the campaign, we had another character lose an arm and then he got an arm back. And it became a big thing. There is a corporation that is doing experiments, and it became this whole big underlying mystery of the whole campaign. And it was so beautiful. But it all came from Eric screwing over Gage. Well, okay, so moving to science fiction, because that is hilarious to throw it to somebody with no explanation and let them sink or swim on that. I'm not going to do it to my nephews. I would do that to someone who's... I'd do it to either of you. I'm killing the (laughs) s*** out of Booker and Butter, and then Chad's got to figure it out. (laughs) Well, actually, I think if it's Eric's running next, then it's me after Eric. Oh, you're right. Well, So you're going to get the Dr. Prouse show. Yeah. So okay, you should definitely leave Eric with something. I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to make any suggestions now. Come up with some huge cliffhanger and hand it over to him to deal with. So let me give you guys a couple of examples from science fiction. Because, Wayne, you actually threw a few at me from sci-fi. I was like, wow, you're right. I hadn't thought about this. But you can do this in science fiction as well, even apart from the supernatural. In our Skies of Glass game, which is post-nuke mm-hmm. sci-fi... We had a situation where Eric's character, Junior, died. And while Junior was dead, he suddenly shows up again. And what he actually was, was he was a bad copy clone that had been put in place to kind of hold his spot while this robot artificial intelligence thing that had fallen in love with him was actually trying to repair and restore his real body. But in the meantime, she just kind of dumped off this, like, half-ass clone of him so there were actually not zero but we went from zero to two juniors in the realm mass effect 2 yeah mass effect 2 where you have the lazarus project where they bring back Shepard from death there's several episodes of star trek where they handle this in various ways where maybe some extra planar being like q comes in and says well this is a what if maybe this never actually happened or let's see what happens if we bring you back or maybe your body died but your consciousness in some quantum state, or we still literally do not know what consciousness is 
scientifically. So insert whatever explanation you want. But somehow that survives post-death, that there's a transporter accident and there's some ghostly image of you or visage of you that's still surviving after the death of your body. A backup version of your brain is put in a hologram and is there to annoy everyone else. Yeah. Wasn't there one where Jordy was like, uh, was there one where Jordy was out of sync with reality? Yeah, or they were off by like a fraction of a second. And, and so then, he was trying to mess with various particles to get yep. the attention of people. It was Jordy, Roe, and uh, the bad guy was there too. Whoever the bad guy was in that episode. Yeah, I, I can't remember, but... You know, or it could be something like, yeah, your consciousness just gets separated from your body and your consciousness persists, but just doesn't have anything to inhabit. It's a pseudo fantasy game. Blades in the Dark has a whole mechanic where when you die, your ghost separates from your body and you they now they've codified this in the rules. You can either continue playing the ghost or the ghost can possess someone. Or the ghost can inhabit a physical machine that's been prepared for it, like a clockwork body, and it keeps on going. And so death does not have to be the end of the character. And these are all things that you can contemplate that do not require just involving flat, do you cast resurrection? The only other thing that I would want to add is that when you come back from the dead, you have to pay. Oh, yeah. If yeah. not, in this case, I'm having them pay up front. Yeah. If not up front, you can have them pay on the back yeah, side. They need, I don't just mean a price. I mean a cost. Even after that, if your character comes back exactly the way that your character died, you've missed out on an opportunity. Nobody dies and comes back without being changed. That's the case in right now. If my heart stopped and somebody had to use the paddles and bring me back to life, which if it's actually stopped, the paddles don't work. It has to be, you know, you get the point. Yeah. If I died, if I died and was revived, I would be a different person. My life would be changed. And I think that's the case for everyone. Your character has gone through something traumatic. Yeah. No matter how it came back, it could come back as a clone it could come back through medical reasons, through a trip to the afterlife. You need to think about what does that mean to that character and use that as an opportunity for growth. Yeah, and I think there's several ways you can approach this. It could be trauma. It may not be physical or psychological trauma. It could be simply something that changes you. You want some fake. inspiration? Google near-death experiences and the stories people have about those. I don't care what you believe about them religiously or whatever. Yeah. That's not what we're talking about here. But I'm just saying, if you're looking for inspiration for the kinds of things these people might experience, start looking at near-death yeah. experiences. If you're looking at a D&D game where you actually met a god, I'm thinking faith is a good way to go when you come back. Oh, You've yeah. met and talked to a deity who brought you back to life. Well, and I'm already seeing it. I'm already seeing it. All right, so with the guy who was the paladin of Torm, I've decided that he's going to get a minor perk, not a huge one, not a game breaker, but some minor perk when he does come back to life because of his direct contact with Torm. Some little plus one to something I haven't decided yet, but something. With the rest of them, it's kind of funny because they all ended up in limbo unclaimed. Well, the druid cut a deal with Mast, or he's now an acolyte of Mask, and it's kind of funny because the rest of the players, almost to a person, have contacted me outside of the game to be, well, I want to kind of get in with this God now, or is there a God whose portfolio includes this, this, and this? Because <laughs> now suddenly they're all creeped out by like, wait a minute, 
we got to the other side and nobody wanted us because that's wonderful. Yeah. And so they're almost like, I mean, you ever had a dog that punishes himself? I am that dog. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's kind of what's going on. I mean, it could also be a physical trauma. It could be a passage of time. You've been dead. You come back. How long have you been dead? What happened? Do people even believe you are you? You know, look at, go back to Mass Effect 2. How many people did you encounter that you did not fully convince you were the original Shepard until halfway through Mass Effect 3? Yeah, and I can think of plenty of other sci-fi settings and stories where that same thing happens. The person comes back and they question whether it's the real person or not. Yeah, and maybe they themselves question, am I the same person? You know, they don't know. What happened to me? Am I even in reality? Is what I'm in right now some version? Is this the test? You know, what is going on here? There's all kinds of ways you can look at this. Maybe for a while you just have to kind of haunt the scene and able to interact with it like it's a wonderful life. There's tons of inspiration out there for this. But the thing that I want to emphasize is that death, it can be the end of a character, and that's fine. Cook to taste for your game. But... There are ways to continue telling the story of a dead character. And that's what I want to talk about. So, hope you guys are having a great holiday season. Not sure when the show will drop, either real late December, real early January. So, happy, I don't know, Christmas, New Year's, Hanukkah, whatever the heck's going on for you. Just take care of you and yours. Have a great... And remember, sometimes they come back wrong. And we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2021. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.